0: Thank you this morning that you're a big and mighty God. We thank you that you're the Great I Am, um, God. I just I just pray for every circumstance or situation that's represented here this morning that seems overwhelming. Uh, and God, we just I just want to declare and remind us all, and in an act of worship, just say that you though are an overwhelming God, and you are able to overwhelm all those overwhelming circumstances, and you are bigger you're stronger. There is nobody like you. And Father, we ask this morning that through your spirit, through your word, that you would do a supernatural work in our hearts, Lord, that helps us to leave here this morning, to walk out those doors with an overwhelming sense of your overwhelming presence and of your greatness and of your might and of your strength and of your power and of your love and of your faithfulness. Um, we pray that you would come strong this morning to those situations in our life lord that are stronger than us but lord they are not stronger than you they're just not and lord we love you thank you for this time that we have together please speak to us today in jesus name i pray amen morning good to see you guys you can have a seat if you got your bibles grab them go to ephesians chapter 4 we're in the second half of ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is into them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, Greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught Him in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil and give no opportunity to the devil along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you pray with me one more time <clears throat> god help this morning open the eyes of our heart that so we could see wonderful things from your word help us to embrace the process of sanctification help us to embrace and engage all that we are in this walk of discipleship that you have for us until you take us home to glory Uh, strengthen us by your spirit in jesus name i pray amen so i'm sure we've all heard that little phrase before um, that maybe somebody said to you when when you were losing track of the big picture they say don't miss don't miss the forest for the trees have you guys heard that yeah don't miss the forest for the trees a little cliche that we say, what do we mean by that? We mean that don't get so caught up in the, the details that you, miss, that you miss the big picture. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Now, the reason I say that is because um, in Paul's writings, and especially here in Ephesians, he, he moves back and forth from talking about the forest, the big picture, okay, and then very quickly down to the trees. To use another illustration, he goes from a telescope to a microscope very quickly. Okay, so telescope, we look at the stars, we we'll maybe look at the planets, we've got a real nice one, and it brings those big things that are out there, it brings them a little bit nearer to our eyes so that we can see them. But then he'll very quickly move to a microscope, which is down in the small details and tries to magnify tries to magnify those things. And I say that because this is kind of the way that this this text is set up this morning. In in, verses 17 through 24, you have Paul speaking of the forest or using a telescope, talking about the big idea. And then in verses 25 through 32, you have the trees or the microscopic, the small little details, specific categories, areas of our life that he looks at and wants us to examine. And again, um, the reason I think this is important for us to understand is because I want us to understand that the gospel speaks to every area of life it gives us a big picture it gives us a big direction it gives us um, kind of those that that big vision of what our life should be but it also speaks to the nitty-gritty details of our lives the word of god is sufficient for all life and godliness uh, to live a godly life in christ jesus but here here's the here's the forest or the telescopic idea if you will that that i just want to hit on first because it's first in the text and i and i don't want us to miss this, um, and that is this, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms people's lives. It changes us. It should change us. Amen? It's not just about having a different set of creeds or doctrines or confessions on paper. Truth is important Truth is the foundation, but the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's lives. And where there is no change in direction, where there is no transformation, then it is doubtful or there needs to be an examination on whether or not the gospel of Jesus Christ has truly been received into that heart and life. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, I sometimes meet with persons who claim to be Christians and believers and all that, but they have never experienced any change that they can remember from their childhood. Well, dear friend, there must have been such a change if you are a Christian. I will not say that you must know the day and the hour, but know this. If you are now what you were then, when you were born, You are in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. If there has not been a turning, you are going the wrong way. Every man must be turned from the way in which Father Adam set his face. Our face is towards sin and destruction, and we must be turned right around so as to have our faces towards holiness and everlasting life. Where there is not such a turning... There is the most solemn cause for heart searching and humiliation and the seeking of salvation. Have you undergone a great transformation? The gospel of Jesus Christ came to change people's lives. And that is what Paul talks about in verses 17 through 24. That's the big idea. That's the forest. And then we'll get into the trees first of all just a couple ways that god through jesus christ the preaching of the gospel the power of his holy spirit the sufficiency of his word ways that he changes us he changes the way that we live he changes the way that we think and he changes the things that we desire okay so first of all in verse 17 he says now this i say and testify in the lord paul saying i'm not I'm, i'm just telling you i'm testifying to this and again, Paul could testify to this. Why? Because he once was a hater of God. He once was a persecutor of the church. But he's testifying that God has changed his life. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. Walk. When you see the, the idea of walk, and Paul's going to use that um, throughout the rest of the letter very frequently next week, we're going to talk about how we're to walk in love um, Last week in chapter 4, verse 1, we saw the word to walk in a manner worthy of of God's calling that he's he's given us. This idea of walking is the way that we live. It should change the way that we live. And he says, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Remember, I said it's going to change the way we live, it's going to change the way we think, and it's going to change what we desire. And those things are all connected. In the futility of their minds, then he says, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Again, notice, understanding, ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. This is why I say it also changes our desires. It should change the way we live, and the reason we're changing the way we live is because we're thinking different. Why are we thinking different? Because we've been given new desires. All this is due to the hardness of their heart. Verse 19, they have become callous. Again, the idea of being hard. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. If you jump down to verse 22, he says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through what? Through deceitful desires. So the link there with with, that we have a hardened heart, a calloused heart, deceitful desires. Is that The the way that the gospel begins to change us is by awakening in us new desires. This is why I say the greatest miracle that can ever happen is the miracle of salvation. Because God changes our very desires, that we are changed from haters of God, which is what we all were, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we are changed into lovers of God. It is a miracle that the Holy Spirit does through the preaching of the word in our hearts to awaken us. To eternal life. We've talked about that as we've, as we've gone through the book of Ephesians. But apart from this miracle taking place, our lives are going to remain the same, we're going to think the same, we're going to be futile in our understanding, and our hearts are going to be hard. But this is not what God has for us. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then there must be a transformation because if you truly know him as Savior, a miracle has taken place in your hearts. Now, I wanna, this, is, this is very practical, okay? And I want to try to be as specific as I can and not talk in generalities. And again, I think Paul is helpful in this because he's going to get into some very specific things in the latter half of, of this passage. But, but this is really important because over you've always had this, okay? This is nothing new to our generation or to our time. But just recently, over the last couple of years, if you follow kind of, the christian world at large especially in america there have been several prominent people um, pastors prominent worship former worship leaders musicians etc that have been turning away from the faith they've been committing apostasy they once confessed to be believers but now they no longer profess to be believers and and many times they will they'll dress it all up in kind of this intellectual facade, and they'll say, "Well, they've learned new things about about science, about philosophy, and about reason, and you know, why is there, if God is good, why is there why is there so much suffering in the world?" But here's what I th- I have seen happen to people that I've seen that happen to over the long haul, is that is that over the long haul of our Christian life, we know that God has done has done something in us. But the bottom line is, I think, is that we just get tired of continually fighting sin. We get tired of continually falling into the same old things, and the devil comes in and he discourages us, and he begins to bring doubt, and he begins to bring confusion, i.e., you can't really be saved. Christians don't act like that. You're still struggling with, and fill in, and fill in the blank. And this process, guys, of sanctification that we're talking about is really, really important for us to understand. And and I don't know that there's a, a juicier passage in all of Scripture than this one that we're in here this morning as Paul talks very practically about what this transformation must look like. Okay? And so Paul's saying, don't walk like this, don't think like this, Don't feel like this, you've been been given these these new desires, and yet we know that God's done something in us, and yet there has to be some role that we play in our sanctification. That's why I like the song that we just sing about, Lord, I give you my heart, because when God has awakened me, here's how I need to live the Christian life every single day. God, here's my heart. God, take my desires, take my mind, take my actions today. And it's over and over again, giving that, giving that to him, surrendering that to him, asking for his Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to fill us again and again and again, to live in his power and not and not our own. Okay? But now listen to the way that that, that that Paul talks here, okay? So he says, not like this, don't walk like this, don't think like this, don't have desires like this. Verse 20, but... That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, a couple things here in those two verses, you'll see that this, this, this transformation, this new life, this new truth that Paul is going to call us to walk in and to, to have this transformation, it, you, you better be focused on Jesus, Amen? In those two little verses there, let me just point it out in case you missed it. I want you to notice. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned who? Christ. Assuming that you have heard about who? Him. And were taught in who? In Him. As the truth is in Jesus. Christ, Him, Him, Jesus. Four times in those, in those two little verses, Paul is tying the truth of what we believe as Christians to a person. That this is a relational truth that if transformation is going to happen, yes, it's going to be based on the truth of the word of God, but that truth is directly tied to a person. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we come to him over and over in a relational way, wanting to sit at his feet as disciples, asking him uh, to teach us and to and to change us. And he says here also, it's um, so the verse Verse 22 and 23, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life which is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Think differently. Where before, in our former manner of life, it was futile. We were darkened in our understanding. But now, we are to think differently. We are to think differently. Well, how, what are we to think differently about? Verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So let me stop here and sit in this and try to get us to understand the picture of what, of what Paul is explaining about this new life that we have in Christ so that we can practically <clears throat> walk in it and be overcomers. Is that as we've looked in Ephesians 1-3, through 3, okay, and as I've said already this morning, when you trust Jesus, he does, when he awakens you to God's glory, to his beauty, and that miracle happens in your heart, it, it's supernatural. There's a new creation that happens in you, okay? That's why He says here, verse 24, this new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, where once you had desires for wickedness and unholiness, now you have been given desires, new creation, for righteousness and holiness. But I want you to, to hear how Paul talks here. And, and he, he, this happens all throughout the New Testament, and it can be very confusing, okay? And I want to try to <clears throat> um, explain this as best I can. Is that in Christ Jesus, you have been made new But now, every day, you must choose to walk in that newness. Okay? So, is it, I have been made new? Or is it, I must put on this newness? The answer is yes. You with me? This is the way the Bible talks. Okay? The Bible always talks. He does not say, do this and then you will become this. That's the way we think about things. We think about things in terms of like, If I work hard and can make a lot of money, then I will become a millionaire. If I do this, then I will become this. It's not the way the Bible talks. The Bible says, you are this, now act like this. Are you with me? It's all about our identity in Christ. Let me read another parallel passage again. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul says many of the same things, just in slightly different ways, but he's not saying anything different. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. In fact, I think I might have even read this last week. But let's hit it again. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Now listen. Seeing that you have, past tense, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. But then, just skip one verse, in verse 12 he says, Put on then, as God's chosen and holy ones, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, do you hear what Paul does? Okay, He's saying, you have put this off, so put it off. You have put this on, so put it on. He's saying, act like who you are. In Christ Jesus, you have been given a new identity. And the way that we live victoriously by faith is to day by day believe in who Christ has made us to be by grace. We are not earning it. It's that little phrase I think Tim Keller is the one that said it that the Christian life, it is not about performance-based acceptance, but it is about acceptance-based performance. Amen? Let me give you the illustration that Paul gives here. Again, I've already mentioned it, but this idea of putting off and putting on. So it's the idea of of clothes, okay? That we put off and that that we put on, okay? Um, All our boys have done this right now, and they've done it when they were younger. They don't. My older ones would be embarrassed if I. I got to watch the way I use my kids in my sermon illustrations. But anyway, I'd have no sermon illustrations if I didn't have my kids. But anyway. But little Jordy is the youngest one right now. Is you know they, when they're little, they maybe have like a favorite sweatshirt or fra- favorite shirt or something like that that they wear, and so you know they wear it to school or they're wearing it while they're playing outside or whatever, and, and it gets all dirty. But then you come in at night, and. You tell them to take a bath, and so they, you know, they, they take a bath or whatever. And every now and then, after they're clean, what do they do? They want to put on that old shirt again. They want to put on that dirty shirt because because it's their favorite, and that doesn't fly well with Mama. Okay, why does God? I tell you, it's there's a reason why God gave little boys mamas because um, they would wear dirty clothes all day long. Uh, but. But this is this is what this is what Paul this is kind of the imagery that Paul's telling us. He, he's saying, you've been made clean. It doesn't make any sense to put on dirty clothes anymore. You can't do that. But but here, what what is Paul trying to get them to identify as? He's trying to get them to identify as clean. You've been made clean. Christ did that. You've been made clean. It does not make any sense to put on dirty clothes. Let me try to summarize it as best I can. Seeking to live a new life that is noticeably different from the world should be as natural as putting on a clean pair of clothes after a shower. Conversely, or on the flip side, professing that we have a new life in Christ, that we've been cleansed in Him, yet walking in the same way that the world does should be as unnatural to us as putting on a pair of dirty clothes after we've been washed or we've been cleansed. You follow? This is who you are. Now act like it. brother and sister. if you've been made clean in Christ this morning, go live it. Stop putting on dirty clothes. And see, one of the things that the devil wants to do, and we're going to talk a little bit about the devil here this morning. He's kind of all throughout Ephesians, especially once we hit, we hit chapter 6. He wants to lie to you. And your former manner of life was, yeah, you put on dirty clothes. You lived in dirty clothes all the time. And you try to clean yourself up, but you never really actually got clean because you can't clean yourself. And so you just live in those dirty clothes and that's what you're used to. And so just put that back on. That's not true anymore. Christ has made you new. Don't put that stuff back on. Now, what are... What are these dirty clothes? Okay? I think there's five specific categories here, or maybe five specifics of these dirty clothes that, um, examples of these dirty clothes that we put on in the end of this passage, verses 25 through 32. Okay? Um, You'll see there that he says in verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then verse 25, therefore... Therefore, in light of this, then he gets into five very specific things. And here's how this is set up. There's a, there's a rhythm and there's a pattern to what Paul does here in, this, in the, the last half of this passage. Okay? He states a negative, and then he states a positive, and then he gives a reason why. Okay? So he says, negative. He says, don't do this. Do this. Here's why. And he, does that. he goes through that pattern five times. Okay? Don't do this. Do this. Here's why, okay? Here's the first one. Deceitful speech versus truthful speech. Deceitful speech versus truthful speech. Deceitful speech, that's old clothes. Don't put that on anymore. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The word for falsehood here, uh, many times it is translated lie. It's literally the Greek word pseudos. It's where we get like kind of that... um, Prefix for pseudo. So if somebody's like a pseudo intellectual, um, sometimes you might say that about somebody. It's like they kind of pretend to be an intellectual, but they're not. But they're not actually that smart. Um, you know, sometimes guys and girls when they're, they're dating, you know, nowadays they're just kind of friends. They're just kind of hanging out. I'm like, you guys together? You you went out? and You're like, ah, eh, it's just kind of like a. Wasn't really a date. It was like a pseudo date. You might say. Okay. All right. Um, or have you guys noticed? Um, I heard somebody say this the other day. Have you guys noticed the mullet has been coming back? the mullet? How many are traumatized by the mullet? Um, <laughs> for those of us that grew up in the 80s, we just start shaking. Um, my boys have threatened to grow a mullet, and I was like, you will not grow a mullet in my um, We'll see. I don't know. But you've got the mullet, and then you've got what I, what I heard somebody say the other day. It was kind of like the pseudo-mullet. It's like, it was kind of a mullet, but it really wasn't fully a mullet. Um, anyway, that was kind of a Ridiculous illustration, but anyway, you get you get the point. It's pseudos. It's like, but it's 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 this idea of like we're putting on a front, kind of pretending to be something that we're not. We 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 kind of tell the truth. We're kind of transparent, but we're not really. And it and it can go again. It's kind of, the, the term could be used in different ways. And it, I mean, for sure, don't lie. Don't 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 lie. We should be truth tellers, but we also don't need to pretend and deceive. See, the way of the old life was. Man, how you doing? How you doing, brother? How you you doing, sister? Oh, I'm doing fine. No, no, no. But if you're not really doing fine, then don't lie about it. Don't be pseudo-fine. Don't be pseudo-okay. Because, and and again, so don't do this, do this, don't be a pseudo-Christian. Be a truthful Christian. What's the reason why? For we are members of one another. Deep, intimate, long-lasting relationships that are valuable and that change life don't happen through pseudo-transparency. Right? They happen through authentic transparency. Living, living in the truth. So the first thing Paul says, the first pair of old clothes we need to put away, the new clothes we need to put on, are the way that we talk. Deceitful speech versus truthful speech. Secondly, the second pair of old clothes... Righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. Righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. There is far more biblical text that would speak of not being angry. However, the Bible does give us a category for anger. And I think Paul has something very specific in mind here when you meditate upon the context and what he's talking about. But look at verse 26. He says, be angry. What a weird command. Be angry. But he says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. So, so the command here, the negative, is that we should not sin in our anger, and we should not let the sun go down in our anger, but yet the positive command is that, that we should be angry. Well, what should we be angry about? Well, I think with all that Paul's talking about, about, about this old way of life, this new way of life, is, guys, we should be angry at sin. We should be angry about sin in the world. It's not God's will. We should be angry about sin in our lives. There is a sense in which we should be angry at it, yet, I, and, and, and quite honestly, again, I know this is just a very practical section, but I'm telling you, for some of you this morning, this is like, this is such a word for you, okay, because, because there has been a lot over the last year or two that has made Christians angry, amen? it has been a lot that's made us angry. And yet the Bible here gives us some very, very, very practical advice that I, I don't know that you could find something that would be more practically timely for the, seasons that, for the season that we're in than this right here. He says, be angry and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse, and, and, and why? Remember, there's always a why with these. And give, the de- and give no opportunity to the devil. I think some translations say that the devil may not have a foothold. So we should be angry at sin, yet if I could just make this as practical as I can, every night when you're laying in bed and you're thinking about all that's going on or you're thinking about the injustices in the world or maybe even thinking about the injustices that you've experienced in your own life or that those that you love and are near to you have experienced, every night you need to let that go. Because he says what happens is the devil gets a foothold. And here's the thing: if I could do a little bit of a very quick deep dive on, on anger, anger comes down to control. Is the reason that we get angry is because we can't control somebody? So if you think about the last time you've gotten angry, the person probably wasn't doing or responding to you the way you wanted them to, and so because they weren't just doing exactly what you told them in a calm way, now you're going to get angry. And you're you're maybe going to yell or it's going to come across in your face, whatever that might look like, but you're going to get angry now to try to get them to do what you want them to do, okay? And again, sometimes we get angry with people we haven't even met, people we don't even know, people in government positions or whatever. Um, But here's the thing, the reason we're doing that is for control. Listen, I know you guys know this, God is in control. God's in control. And that's why when we fall asleep at night, we need to remind ourselves, I don't need to be angry about this because I don't need to control this because I'm not God. And He's got it. It's all in my Father's hands. And again, it's a big why. This is a big motivator that Paul mentions here. Because when we don't, when we go to bed with that anger and then... We we carry that anger into the next day, and then the next day, more stuff happens that makes us angry, and then we go to bed with that and the things from the day before, and then the next day, it, and what happens? The devil gains an opportunity. He gains a foothold in your life, and that may be you this morning. You might be sitting here, and the devil has a huge stronghold in your life because you've been hanging on to anger and to control. Here's what I would say. Number one, I understand. I understand why that happens. I've had that happen in my life. I, I can, that's something I continually have to battle in my life. I understand it, but I want to tell you something. There's no excuse to hang on to it. Through the gospel, Jesus Christ has set you free from that. He set you free from having to be in control. In fact, if I can just be really honest, I, I, I know I shared this, I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, and, and again, just I just giving you a little window here, just into my own Christian walk, I guess, Um, in my own Christian life. I'm a disciple like everybody else, and I'm just trying to follow Jesus. I'm just trying to follow him every day. But I've had, the last month or two have been frustrating, (laughs) okay, at different times. And one of the things that has so helped me has been the first confession of the Heidelberg Catechism, or the question and answer and I've just been working on memorizing it and I'm just again I'm I'm not trying to sound super spiritual I'm telling I'm not super spiritual it's because I struggle with anger and frustration and with trust but I cannot tell you how many times I've woken up in the morning and I've just had to quote this to myself over and over before I was ready to face the day or how many times I've laid on my bed at night as I was going to bed and just in order to go to sleep at peace I've just quoted this over and over and over First question says this. Says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer. That I am not my own. But I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because... I have trusted in him, Christ by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. I've just, I've had to memorize that. And I've had to say it to myself over and over and over. And if I and I know we didn't use the word control in there, but for me, what it does is I belong to Jesus Christ. Body and soul, life and death. He's got it. And again, I'm a pastor. I know this, but I still need to remind myself. Amen? Deceitful speech versus truthful speech. Righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. Another very practical one, verse 28. Giving versus taking. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Are you a contributor contributor or are you a consumer? Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's a lot, listen, don't just think thievery here like robbing a bank or going into the grocery store and like, you know, taking a candy bar, sticking it, you know, I don't know, everybody wears a jacket or something, that's what that was. Anyway, but that, that, like, can I just shoot straight with you? There's a lot of thievery that goes on in Holmes County. A lot. People ripping each other off. Anybody want to say amen? It's true. There's a lot of thievery that goes on. Don't be a thief. Don't be a taker. He says here, do honest work with your own hands. Doesn't mean you have to have a blue collar job. Okay. If you've got a white collar job, that's fine but do it honestly. And why? Again, there's always a why. Don't do this, do this. What's the why? So that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Is that we do our work not just to get stuff for ourselves. Doing, hoarding things for yourself, those are the old clothes. That's the old way of life. Those are the dirty things that we put off. The new way of life is when there's a need, we meet that need. Here's something, I I am not Dave Ramsey, okay? I'm not Dave Ramsey. Um, Dave Ramsey would probably lecture me on some things in my life, but anyway. I'm not Dave Ramsey, but here's one thing I've learned about money, okay? Is that if you try to hold on to it, it'll it'll disintegrate right in your hands, okay? You, you, You are like a pipe, and... The money is like the water that flows through that pipe, and it all belongs to God. And stewardship is God allows us to kind of direct where that money would go, but it's to flow through you to others and to be a blessing to the world. And it's okay. Hear me again. I'm not Dave Ram. I'm not going into this. Isn't a. I'm not going to go into all the details. Like it's it's okay to let some flow to your savings account. It's, a, it's okay to let some flow to a retirement account. That's fine. But. The primary concern of Scripture is so that you would be able to bless others and those savings accounts, those retirement accounts, so that you'll be able to bless others in the future. That's what it's for. We're to be a conduit of God's, of God's money, of His resources. It all, it all belongs <coughs> to Him. Okay. The fourth pair of old clothes, the new clothes that Paul wants us to put off and put on, destructive speech versus edifying speech. So we had deceitful speech versus truthful speech, and again, here's another one that involves our tongue, but it's kind of a different category. Verse 29, I love, this is, man, if, listen, if you would just, for, for many here this morning, if you will just embrace verse 29, it'll completely change your whole life. That's not an overstatement. If you embrace verse 29 and seek by God's help through the power of the Holy Spirit, Humility, seeking him in prayer. To practice this, it will change your life. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now the word for corrupting here is literally rotten. Things that tear people down. Why do I say tear people down? Because he contrasts that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, rotten talk, but only such as is good for what? For building others up. For building them up. As fits the occasion, and then listen here, it, here here's, this is part of the reason why, he has another one, that it may give grace to those who hear. That is absolutely incredible. In fact, this is, this is the primary verse that we, one of the reasons our mission statement is what it is. So our mission statement here, I think it's on the bulletin somewhere, the mission statement and the, and the vision statement, but the mission statement is to help every person continually worship Jesus by imparting, by giving, by imparting grace with our Words, works, gifts, and resources. And the one that's listed first there, in my opinion, is most important. Is that every single person you come in contact with every single day, you have an opportunity to either tear them down or to build them up. You're like, oh man, they don't deserve it. Then you don't understand grace. He's talking about imparting grace to them. Grace is unmerited favor. There's not really anything good to say about that person. I know they don't deserve it, but speak the truth as it is in Jesus is that Jesus loves them. Tell them that they are loved. Tell them that you care for them. Impart grace to them with your words. Proverbs 12, 18. Listen to this beautiful little verse. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one whose rash words, those rotten words, corrupting words, are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise Brings healing. Again, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious as though seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Me and the interns were eating lunch on Friday. I will not mention which brand of potato chips this was, but my potato chips had no salt on them. None. I, I a, I a little bag. I had my own little bag, and I opened my bag, and, I, it, and it was just a, there was no salt on those potato chips at all. They did not taste good. And I didn't want to eat them. Paul says, let your speech be gracious as though seasoned with salt. If there's no grace in your speech, folks, people aren't going to want to listen to what you have to say. And this doesn't mean being a people pleaser. This doesn't mean just going around telling people what they want to hear. No, not at all. But it means that in every every situation, we have opportunity to build to build people up rather than tear them down, and then there's there's another thing. I, I think this is another reason, most directly tied to the way we we speak, but I think it absolutely applies to all of these categories. Look at what Paul says then in verse 30. I think he's giving another reason here, as to how we're, to, as to why we are to uh, to practice all these things. It's like a bonus why, a bonus reason. Okay, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed. For the day of redemption, what happens when we do let corrupting speech come out of our mouth? What happens when we are takers rather than givers? What happens when we do sit in unrighteous anger? What happens when we do tell lies rather than live in the light and in the and in the truth? We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And notice how this this kind of tension that he sets up here. He says, "By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." So he mentioned that back in chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen. That having believed, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a promise guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. But notice, here, he's like, you can grieve Him. He's not going to leave you, but you can grieve Him. And if you if you live in these old clothes, if you continually put these old clothes on over and over and over again, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And listen, this happens. Listen, this is so practical. The Bible is awesome. Amen. It knows what it's talking about. We don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. How many of you would like a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in your life? How many of you would like for God to breathe fresh life into you? Okay? Now listen, I I, I admit that there is a category for times where God takes us through desert seasons and where things are dry, but most of us don't experience the freshness of the Holy Spirit because we continually put on these old clothes every day, and and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And the idea here is that he's not going to leave, but he's just kind of shrinking up. To grieve, it means to make him sad. And I wouldn't doubt at all that probably the primary way that we do this is with the way that we speak. Well, I just told them what I thought because, you know, that's how I am. I just, they just needed to know. So I just let them know what I was thinking. Well, good for you. You just grieve the Holy Spirit build them up, build them up, impart grace with your words. Not only can we grieve the Holy Spirit, but we can also quench him, there's probably a slight difference, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, 19, very straightforward command, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when we do what the Holy Spirit resists, quenching the Holy Spirit is when we resist what the Spirit wants to do. Did you get that? Grieving the Holy Spirit is doing what the Spirit resists. The Spirit resists these old clothes, but we put them on anyway, it grieves Him. Quenching Him is when we resist what, the, what He wants to do. When He's leading us to go have a conversation, when He's leading us to go speak life to somebody, when He's leading us to give away some of that that we've accumulated to meet the needs of others, we quench Him. Again, the di- Christian life is difficult, but it is not complicated And quite honestly, I would like to just call us as a church, and again, I'm not saying that we live in just continual grieving or quenching of the Holy Spirit. I'm not. But if I could just put it this way as your pastor, there's no harm in us repenting of this and saying, God, wherever I've grieved your Holy Spirit, wherever I've quenched the Holy Spirit, I want it to change, and I want to change now, today. Because I want the freshness of the Holy Spirit in my life today and this week. Amen? Last one. Last set of old clothes and new clothes. Bitterness versus forgiveness. Verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now there's, there's a list here of like five or six things. Let me just give them to you quickly. Bitterness, it's literally, it literally means sour. And that's kind of the heading for all of these. Bitterness, wrath, is, a pas- is like passionate rage. Anger, it means a settled hostility. So we're bitter, then we might fly into a passionate rage, but then we just get this settled hostility inside of us. Clamor, it means shouting or screaming. Slander is speaking evil of others in order to destroy their reputation. And then finally, and this is kind of like the pinnacle, I think it's like a progression, these things that Paul lists. Malice is a plotting to do evil. It's the idea of doing something in a premeditated manner. And again, if you've ever gone through that dark pipeline of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, slander, and malice, turn away from it today. You do not have to sit in it for another moment. That's what we should not do. What should we do? Verse 32, be kind, <laughs> tenderhearted. And notice all the way back at the beginning the, the contrast here between being tenderhearted as opposed to being hard-hearted, which was our old way of life, back in verse 18. We're to be kind, we're to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and then here's the reason why. Again, the negative, the positive, and then the why. Because Christ forgave you. Because Christ forgave you. That's why. Worship, you can come up and we're going to begin to close. You know, along with that, um, this idea of of forgiveness here instead of bitterness. Um, I don't know how I missed this for so many years. I may have shared it with you before, but it just keeps coming back up over and over in my life. Is when Jesus taught the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and you know what's next? And forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But then here's, where, here, here's the kicker. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we usually just end the prayer. But the very next verse, after he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. So this, Matthew makes a sandwich here. He talks about forgiveness forgiving our debts and then leading us not into temptation delivering us from evil and then he talks about forgiveness again what is the evil that we're to not be led into unforgiveness unforgiveness is a great evil and it it's the same idea as what paul said about anger here that if we allow it to sit the devil will gain a foothold in our lives we should not not be led into it um I want to try to do my best, if I can, just in closing here, to obey this pastor. Sorry, guys, I probably called you up a little too early. Nate, why don't you strum a little bit for us as we close. You, You don't have to bow your heads, you don't have to close your eyes, but you can if you want. And I just want to read all the things that just this book, Ephesians, says so far. I probably won't hit all of them, but especially in chapters 1 through 3. I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. I want to speak the truth in love to you and over you. I want, to, I want to speak the truth as it is in Jesus to you and over you this morning. I want to remind you of the new clothes that Christ has given you, okay? And then, in light of that, I want you to stop putting on those old clothes, but just listen okay and I hope that this imparts grace to you but in Christ Jesus you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ he chose you in him before the foundation of the world and he's called you to be holy and blameless in his sight he adopted you into his family just because he wanted to just because it pleased him because he loved you you have redemption in him you have forgiveness in him These are all according to the riches of His grace that He has lavished upon you. He has made known to you the mystery of His will. It's that one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is working all things together for good in your life. Whether you see it or not, you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God is your Father. Jesus is your older brother. He has opened the eyes of your heart and He will continue to do so as you ask Him for it. He has seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be named. He has raised you from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you're not anymore. He has shown you rich mercy. He has made you alive. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of you. And whether you're a Jew or Gentile, whether your family grew up in church or didn't grow up in church, Whether you grew up going going to Sunday school or, 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 or VBS or whether you've just been coming for the first time, you have full access to God through Jesus Christ. Anyone who has been far off has been brought near by the blood of Christ. What Jesus has done is absolutely enough. You have access with him. You are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. He is making us into a bride, a body, a family for his pleasure, and for his son. He is using your life in ways that you cannot even imagine through your life and through our lives together. He is glorifying his name to angels and demons in the heavenly realms, magnifying the riches of his glory to those spiritual beings through our lives. Your life absolutely matters. You have boldness and access to come before him whenever you want and for whatever you need. He hears you. And he will answer in according to his wisdom in the way that he sees best. He wants to strengthen you according to the power of his might. And his love for you is so great that it takes supernatural strength by his spirit to be even able to comprehend how much he loves you. That's the newness. That's the new creation that won't just be true of you someday, it is true of you right now. Amen? Because of what Jesus did. Now the question is, are you living like that? What old clothes are in your closet? And I'm telling you, you do not have to put them on. Father, I pray that you would please help us as a church to live according to who you've made us to be. I pray that right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts, and that whatever the old clothes are, Lord, that we specifically tend to put on, whether it's lies or taking or tearing down or unforgiveness, bitterness. Whatever it is, I pray we put it aside and choose in Christ never to put it on again. We thank you for calling us to be holy. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with me.